Hello and welcome to Chats the Television Podcast, Season 13. I'm Alan, and that's... Uh, oh, it appears that a beatnik has entered the podcasting studio today. Welcome. Um, is it Magellan? Hey! What? Like, what's up, man? What's up? Hey. What's up, daddy-o? Dad- <laughs> All right, we're going to have to put you in front of the entire world and film you uh, doing a fun dance. I love your black, your skin suit, though. It looks really, it's fetching. Thank I you. Think the word. It's it the, looks amazing. It's the uh, beatnik slang. 26 beatnik slang phrases you should start using. <laughs> yeah, what do you got, boss? What, you got? Uh, what can I say? I'm a shape in a drape. <laughs> Means a well-dressed person. Um, we're here. Thank you. I got a you, case of the bright disease. It means I know too much. You know too much, yeah. That's pretty I'm good. also pretty claws sharp, or I keep my claws sharp, which means I'm well informed on a number of subjects. You should keep those handy for the rest of the episode. Just drop them in randomly. It'll sound natural, like you're a normal beatnik. Yeah, we can just noodle it out. Exa- <sighs> it might get a little off the cob. Which, it's mean, off- which means corny, by the way. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, if you can't tell, we're feeling a little goofy today because we just finished watching um, Dave Lynch and Mark Frost's On the Air. And, uh, you know, we went a week without him. But uh, at the end of the day, how can we talk about a, a Mark Frost television show without friend of the podcast, Ryan? Hello. I... Woke up from a fever dream, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I have put in the disc for on the air, and I don't know what happened. We live inside a dream. Inside a DVD. If Twin Peaks (laughs) is living inside the dream, the dreamer for on the air has a 102 temperature and is in bed. (laughs) That um, on the air definitely feels like a show you watch when you're really sick and you're on you see it on cable and you're like, What was that? I just watched six episodes of what? <laughs> did I dream that? Did Did yeah. I dream that? Right. Yeah, did I dream that? What's wild and we're gonna talk about it here is that it's complete. <laughs> Michelle and I watched this <laughs> together and when we finished it we were like, Does on the air have an ending? Because, you know, if you don't if you don't know Chats already, we talk about television shows called Classic and Otherwise. But right now, this season, we're talking about shows that were canceled before they got even a, a whole season out. Um, before they got 13 episodes out, specifically. Um, and so most of them, I'm, I'm going into assuming they get just sliced at the head. Like, no ending, no resolution, donezo. On the air is a little bit different. Ryan, I want to start by asking you, because we haven't talked to you since Twin Peaks, their other show. Um uh-huh. What did you thought of on the air, having binged it, which apparently you don't write, don't recommend to people? Uh, I didn't mean to. It's just that I was really busy this weekend, so it just happened. Um, did you like it? I really liked the first episode a lot. Yeah. Um, the first episode feels like almost an homage to like fifty cinema in terms of like the theatrics of it. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of stuff from that era, um, and I felt like that was kind of Lynch's homage to that stuff. Uh, and then as it went on, I the the sort of uh, the charm sort of wore off in a lot of spots. Um, but I think it ends pretty well. Um, so 
I thought it was okay. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, <laughs> I felt I felt like I could have watched the first episode and got it. Um, but yeah. it was it was fun to see the whole thing through and finally uh, have closure on this for this forgotten chapter of David Lynch and Mark Frost uh, collaboration. So. I'm glad you I'm glad you found something to enjoy about it cuz it's a weird one. Um and I can totally see somebody just bouncing right off of this and being like, "Oh, this is dumb and unnecessary," but it's it's got some charms to it. I think it has like jokes throughout that uh continue to make me laugh, but honestly, my big takeaway this week was the second half of on the air is when they figured out how to make the show like they ju- and this is going to keep coming up, right? This season, so they just figured out how to make it by like episode 5. And then there's two more episodes and then it's done. And you're like, oh, all right. Well, you guys figured it out. Oh, well, see ya never. Uh, because like they figured out, I think the the ensemble, like everyone gets a chance to be interesting and funny a little bit. Um, they don't lean too hard into the same repetitive bits, although they still do the blinky thing, but they do it a little differently. And, you know, overall, it felt like they they understood what made their show interesting. Um, John, did you enjoy the back half of uh, On the Air season only? I think Ryan's being a bit of a square because this show is an absolute gas. <clears throat> Let's see. Oh, hipster. Yep. Cooking. Like the show is really cooking. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> it's not a great show. I feel like I finally started to dig it. Uh, by the end there, uh, even though I was a bit wigged out in the middle. Um, I'm going to stop now. I've found all the ones that I can use. And I See, you're, ba- you're already websites. better than on the air. You know, this is, you're not like <laughs> Blinky has Bozeman simplex in episode seven. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think my, my thing with, uh, on the air at the end of the day is that it's just a show that had some interesting ideas and came out at a time where TV was not like there was nobody else for them to look to, to understand how to do this show that they wanted to do. And whereas with twin peaks, that was sort of the case, but they could like figure it out um, and make a show that was like iconoclastic and unique and, and still endures I think on the air has just been completely outpaced by other television that figured out how to do this stuff better, faster, funnier. So there's still things that are engaging um, here, but I think the real issue uh, that I started to notice is that on the air in a lot of ways is stuck in like a really dated understanding of what a sitcom is supposed to be or look like. Because every single episode essentially follows the same plot of like, uh-oh, there's an unusual character around and they're going to make things a little different. And all the other characters are going to do the thing that they do in response to that. And then it's all going to end after some wacky stuff happens. And I think we've just learned as, I shouldn't say we, but people who write television have learned uh, ways to like explore sitcoms that hit the beats and the games of characters without feeling like 
you're doing the same episode over and over and over again. So um, yeah. I think that the back half, they end up putting twists on it that are interesting. And I had like a pretty good time watching a couple of the episodes. Um, but, you know, there wasn't anything particularly like brand new to me here other than just the sort of unique point of view that it had on like 50s entertainment which is not something that i've really seen takes on or, or thought about in any sort of deep way yeah and like it's one thing like twin peaks is so like singular and weird that it's like yeah of course people want a revival of that for this it's like i could just go watch 30 rock if i wanted to right. bingo you know? right so it's like there's not going to be demand for like bring back on the air because there's not really shows have done this better by this point. Yeah, I, it's exactly a point that we made in uh, in the first episode um, is a 30 Rock kind of figured out how to do this long form and successfully and be like. I want to see more David Lynch and Mark Frost stuff, but I don't need to see them tackle this again. I think it's very indulgent in an interesting way that Lynch was like, or, you know, these two were like, uh, oh, I love Hollywood. I love old Hollywood and old movies. I want to make a story that's set there. And I want to make a sitcom because that's challenging for me. And like, you know, I do dramas, but maybe I'm going to try a comedy. Like, cool. I want, I like it when drama TV makers like create, attempt to do comedy. I think that that leads to a lot of interesting television. Um, and, this is definitely an interesting show, but at the same time, I like, I feel so much distance from it. And I said this before too, but like, because it's canceled, I'm just like, why do I, this felt like it, it felt transient. It felt effervescent. Um, whatever other big SAT word you want to use. It felt like hmm. it came and, and, and barely existed in my life. And I don't know, is there an on the air fandom? I'm pro I'm sure. I, I mean, when I looked on YouTube for this show, it used to be on YouTube, right? Before you had to buy a janky eBay mm. listing for it. Mm. There's one video essay um, from the YouTube channel Slacking Off called David Lynch's Forgotten Sitcom on the Air. Uh, as I understand, I think Slacking Off is like a channel involved with another bigger channel, but they didn't put out a lot of videos. Um, and the guy is just, he says a lot of stuff that we said. Um, he does reference 30 Rock as well. And um, something he noted that we, uh, and of course I'll credit him in, in the description, but like something he noted was, it seems like they want to do more with the satire. And he came to appreciate the satire a little bit more than we did. Mm -hmm. But my problem is like, I just think you've, they've, people have done this exact satire better. Like mm -hmm. super weird to say again, studio 60 does some of this stuff a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree with say. you. I agree with you. Satire <laughs> in terms of like what though? Just in terms of what an American audience would watch. In terms of what an American audience would watch and also like what it actually looks like behind the scenes. Because there's well, something he references yeah. is the fact that like there's the network executives who are behind Red Velvet and they're all mm. old men and they're all like dying. And like that's a really funny like dig at network executives. But it's so on the nose that it just doesn't even feel like that sharp of a critique. Like, yeah, they're all old and, and like dying and we, you know, kind of they yeah. judge us from afar. And I, I think once again, it's just hard for us to retrieve the context of that because like we've seen 30 years of the Simpsons being like, ah, oh, Fox is so stupid. Fuck Fox. <laughs> and yeah. So it's like, has no impact on us anymore because it's to us, it's so pat. And I, I don't have a sense of in the early nineties, how bold that was versus like 
not particularly biting or interesting. Um, cause I think satire is entirely about context, right? It's like hard to, it's, it's hard to divest it from that. Um, so I, I could see an argument for that, but I, I don't feel that I understand the context well enough to make a case either way. Well, and in the context of the show, them coming right off of Twin Peaks, which was like famously like ruined by network executives trying to be like, you have to answer questions, you have to do X, Y, Z. I totally get why they would be like, well, screw you. I'm making a show about you and I'm putting it on a network and about how you guys won't let a production happen. But it doesn't it also it's not that fighting like on the air doesn't feel like it's that mean also. So it's like either lean into the funny or lean into like the meanness or something. I don't know. I just I felt like it, it had a lot of ideas that it doesn't give any time to breathe because exactly like I said last week, we got to get in those running gags over and over again. We got to do the hurry up twins. We got to do Blinky. We got to do, you know, a new character joins the show and messes everything up. All these things have to happen before we can say anything of meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. Um I think just to return to something you said, Alan, about like the show being canceled and so not feeling super connected to it. Uh, I will say that I think I have felt a connection or attachment to sitcoms that were also canceled um, because they do something that's really interesting that I haven't seen really anywhere else. So I think a big example for me is like Andy Richter controls the universe, which is yeah. The other show from uh, Victor Fresco, the creator of Better, Better Off, Off Ted. Ted. Mm-hmm. And that's a show where even though it's canceled, I would recommend people go seek it out because it does a twist or a take on how to present a sitcom and explores like different premises within that uh, world that I I think are unique and cool. Whereas on the air, I think makes gestures of that sort of thing. I think the ways that it experiments visually and does some like filmic stuff is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it just doesn't rise to the level of a show like that or other like really short run sitcoms like uh, the comeback, the Lisa Kudrow show um, or stuff like that, where it's like, this is a really short sitcom, but it's doing something unique. So you should definitely watch it. Is on the air doing something unique? I mean, I think that's what's interest. That's like the interesting question to me is that it's a show that's like, look at me, I'm doing something so unique right now. And yeah, on the face of it, on the surface, there are like components of this that are unique um, or special to the show, but the like bones of it are not particularly special or interesting to me. I want to lean a little bit more into the, the comedy of it though, because I think to answer my own question, I think that that's where I found the most enjoyment out of on the air was like, there are just a case by, by throwing so many gags at the wall, you eventually have some hits. And that's like the thing that works about 30 rock is they just had a higher throw ratio, which meant a higher hit ratio. Right. And the, all the cartoon logic stuff in on the air is also where I think it carves out its own little niche. And it's like, oh, this is creative. And like in a cart, you, you basically wrote this like you would write a Looney Tunes cartoon in some spots. Uh, and that leads to comedy in live action. Um, so episode five, just to get into it a little bit here, uh, is, you know, Betty's nervous over the appearance on the show of her famous sister, Sylvia Hudson, who's an early television person. 
Um, also on the show is a popular children's show puppet host named Mr. Peanuts. Um, and after Sylvia humiliates Mr. Peanuts on the air, Betty and the cast cheer him on by singing the Mr. Peanuts song. Uh, and even uh, Bud Budwaller is brought to tears. <laughs> um, so we got puppets, a classic staple. You know, they're doing the howdy doody thing. We've got old Hollywood with Sylvia Hudson. Um, I liked having a weird villain on the episode. I thought that part was fun because she's so mm-hmm. contemptible. Um, and Majan and I were talking about when we watched the episode about like one of the weird things about on the air is you never get to see what the show looks like when it's succeeding. Like what is a good episode of this look like? You just don't know. Cause it's like a cursed set basically. And when everybody at the end like gets together and like cooperates and like knocks Sylvia over and closes the doors on her and they're all cheering and singing, that was the closest I think I felt to like, this is a cohesive unit of people who work together and they work well based on X, Y, Z. Uh, and I almost wish the show did more stuff like that, where they figure things out by cooperating. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. What did y'all think of the Sylvia plot? I really enjoyed the the same stuff that you described there. I think what I... I, I do think it was a little arbitrary that she was uh, Betty's... Betty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Betty. She was Betty's sister, because it's like, you don't need that. Uh it almost feels like a retcon of what I found interesting about Betty, which is that she's just some nobody who by virtue of being like blankly nice is more popular than Lester guy who like tries so hard to perform and act and get people to call him famous. Um, and so for her to be like, actually I'm also, I have a famous sister was a little weird, but um, I think what I liked about, this plot was that the triumph at the end there um, and then everybody singing the puppet song kind of exists both as like a warm sitcom moment, but also as something so absurd that you can like look at warm sitcom moments and be like, huh, (laughs) what? Why is Albert crying right now? Why are we all singing the puppet song? Um, So I I enjoyed, I think this episode might've been my favorite one to be honest mm-hmm. um i'm trying to remember what the other ones were about oh you know the beatnik one actually was maybe my favorite yeah i don't know it's between those two but i i had fun with this one is right. this the one is this the one where the the hurry up twins show up at in the crowd i think so end? i think so yeah because that was my biggest laugh like i was so tired <laughs> of the her that was i was so tired of the hurry up twins um, and then an episode of On the Air had just happens, and at the end, the Hurry Up Twins shows up, and the guy's like, the Hurry Up Twins, and they, like, clap. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, just like, no, they don't do the bit, they just acknowledge that they're there, and then they're like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> yeah, and then the episode's over. Oh, yeah. Great. That might Thank have been you. six, but I did, I, that was in this batch, for sure, and I, I also yeah. was like, I think I'm sick of the Hurry Up Twins, although I just love the delivery of it. Hurry up. Hurry up. Uh, but yeah, they got it got old and then they brought it back in a fun way. That's like I I also thought there was a good blinky joke in these episodes because I was like, okay, all you have to do is change something about it. Like just don't say the blinky thing and then show the same gag we keep seeing every single episode. Yeah. I I was waiting for it to escalate, you know. Yeah. Like I was waiting for like you know, the blink blinky to show up and then it would show like the atomic bomb going off in his vision or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Go weird. <laughs> it's lynched. So go weird. Yeah. 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 
Um, but I, I, I did get some laughs out of um, out of episode five here. Uh, specifically, early on, Bud said, or somebody says to Bud, "We're still ironing out a few kinks," and he says, "I suggest you flatten them," which I can't <laughs> do in in Miguel Ferrer's voice, but he just is so committed to it all the time. Um, my my favorite laugh with his character was when uh, Sylvia like berates uh, Mr. Peanuts to the point where Mr. Peanuts is like really ashamed and sad and Bud is in the tech booth like get give me a close up of the puppet while the puppet <laughs> is like zoom in on the puppet while he's crying get in there yeah yeah that was funny. it's so funny seeing him shape the narrative of the show because everything's going to shit and he's like wait 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 that's the story right there get me that puppet uh that's some newsroom fun. shit right there yeah exactly <laughs> um Betty also just being worried about her famous sister is always. I I think what I'm liking about Betty is that she she's anxious about things that don't matter to anyone else. Like uh-huh. in the final episode, her biggest worry is like I don't know my mom's name. But the fact that they can loop that back around to like actually having some pathos, and you're like, oh oh, you should care about your mom, and like okay, mm-hmm. it's very, you know, simple, but yeah. Uh, she says uh, somebody says, how do I look? And they say, oh fine, thank you. Oh that's that's um that's Lester. It's yeah. a good Lester line in this episode as well. Lester just the implication that he is like has had a relationship with Betty's sister is also a little weird. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, they're Hollywood. They kind of don't do much with that, right? No, right. not really. I think. Drop it. Yeah, I think something that I am reflecting on right now and looking over my notes and thinking about the show, the reason that I maybe didn't connect with it as much as I wanted to is that. It's a sitcom that isn't really doing the sort of like character focused things that we expect yeah. or want sitcoms to do because, um, you know, you think like the thing that really drives a sitcom and makes people fall in love with it is you have characters who behave in certain ways, have personalities that you're very familiar with, and you see them in different situations where those personalities or traits cause them to make bad choices. And then we watch them deal with the ramifications of those choices. Mm -hmm. And what On the Air does is it says, here are these characters who have these foibles. Here's the situation that they're in. And look out because they're about to slip on a rolling up rug. And uh uh-oh, the dog's in there. Like it just kind of takes this swerve into madcap physical comedy that if you allow it to go there is fun and there are set pieces that are silly like Sylvia getting caught behind the door and the door keeps closing on her face and now she's like is dazed or something but what we lose is what we're talking about here um, and what Ryan's pointing out which is what about her and Lester having like a connection is Lester exaggerating that? Is he making a fool of himself? What's the resolution to that? So I think that to me is kind of like what makes this show feel a little less substanceless is that we're not meaningfully resolving character arcs o- across yeah. an episode. Yeah, you. It's hard to get invested when there isn't arcs, but that's like that's also a sitcom, right? They don't. They can't resolve stuff or have characters develop. Lester has to continue to be a a shit heel for the whole show unfortunately that's just who he is true yeah yeah but i don't know i feel like 
it feels like I'm watching Tom and Jerry. Like I know what's going to happen on the screen before it happens. And I'm just like, yep, these are what these characters on are. And this is what I'm watching. Whereas like, or something like 30 rock, like you get invested in the characters and there's just enough evolution in them that it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't get that same effect. Uh-huh. And even and something it, like, Oh, go ahead. Alan. Sorry. Well, that's a modern TV thing is, is like yeah. you take the expectation and you change it. Cause like in the seventies and back, you would take the expectation and just meet it because people watch yeah. TV for comfort and be like, "They'll Gilligan and company are never getting off the island. Jan uh, is always going to be smarter than the rest of the Brady Bunch, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Fonzie's always going to hit the jukebox because that feels comfortable. And the show is mm-hmm. calling back to that. But at the same time, it's like, it just feels like kind of like a waste of your time a little bit. You're like, why am I watching this? Yeah. I, I think the the thing to contextualize this show a little bit because – I think because it's about the 50s, I think of it just subconsciously as a lot older than it actually is. On the Air is airing like contemporaneously with season, what, two or three of Seinfeld. Seinfeld, like, yeah. yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, Super and, weird. And like Seinfeld is a show. I was at the dentist the other day and there were Seinfeld episodes playing on the screen. So I'm thinking a lot about Seinfeld right now. It was literally drilled into me. Um, they used a water pick. There was no drill. That's okay. Um, but uh, in Seinfeld, I know how George is going to act. He's going to get really mad and he's going to repeat like a phrase about something over and over and over again and try to insist upon its truthfulness or whatever. Uh-huh. Jerry's going to have a new girlfriend for who God knows what reason and find some reason to be annoyed by her or something. Kramer's going to walk in the door. Like there are things that I just know Elaine is going to be anxious and fuck up a friendship. I know that these characters are going to do these things, but different episodes feel distinct from one another because the situations feel distinct and everything that the characters do and all the laughs come from the ways that their stock problems interact with novel situations and so maybe that's also part of the issue on the air is like it's stuck in a version of the sitcom that even by 1992 is somewhat dated, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are other sitcoms that are contemporaneous with it that are figuring this stuff out um, in ways that on the air just isn't really because it's not interested in that. It's interested in looking at 50s entertainment and variety and, you know, slapstick comedy and stuff like that right and nobody misses this type of well i don't know if nobody misses it i think we found comfort television in different ways but no i'm not i'm saying most people aren't looking for like the new gilligan's island or the new sitcom where nothing changes and everything is just like blankly funny Mm -hmm. we have shows like that you know modern family did amazingly well for a while and that's like about a family that's kind of like stagnant and not stagnant but like you know all have they've had their character beats figured out um there were some other jokes, though, in episode five that I liked before we move on, just real quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, Sylvia's line delivery, and I wish we could have pulled clips from the show, but it's very hard to <laughs> do that. Um, she says, uh, ice in the drinks in the cocktail lounge of hell. Uh, <laughs> it's just the beautiful staccato rhythm of that line delivery. It was really funny to me. Um uh, Lester saying I didn't play it I just fingered it with regards to a uh, stringed instrument 
very naughty in that fun uh, way. Didn't we learn, Magellan, that Ian Buchanan like has had such an has had an interesting storied career recently? Yeah, so he, at like a young age, his parents died when he was like a teen or a preteen or something. Yeah. And he was like working in bars for a while. And then one day he was just on vacation in Spain and a photographer saw him and took pictures of him. And like overnight he became an international fashion model um, <laughs> because he's so handsome. And then since then he's been like a recurring character in all of the big soap operas that you could think of. Um, yeah, he just is a much. He more, was the model for Giorgio Armani. He for a while was the like personal fitting model for Giorgio Armani. Yeah, dude's had an interesting career. He's like the person yeah. I came out of this the most interested in. So I was glad that we looked into that. But him having like a soap opera background explains so much about both Lester Guy and uh, his Tremaine. character in, in Dick Tremaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Let's briefly touch on uh, episode six. This is the one about the Great Presidio. Uh, and there are some inappropriate terms used in this episode, unfortunately. Yep. <laughs> uh, mostly words used to describe uh, uh, Romani people. Yeah, Romani, let's say. yeah. Uh, Presidio actually thinks he's an auto mechanic and he's unable to perform magic. He's afraid of, quote, the dog of transformation. There's a dog on set. I love a good dog. Uh, and then Lester and Nicole plot to steal the show by sabotaging uh, his character and having Lester learn to perform his own magic uh, on the air while Lester's trying to perform a trick and Nicole is trapped in a magic box. This is where it gets awesome. Presidio uh-huh. spies, snaps the dog, who Nicole is dressed as the great Presidio's dog of transformation, which causes him to regain his powers, transform Nicole into a lizard, and use his magic trick to teleport Lester to Akron, Ohio. What the hell happened? <laughs> I love this is this is my this is the one that had the hardest laughs for me at least. I love absurdity like this. Last five minutes. But can of I say? Can I say real quick? Real quick. Yeah. Sylvia's dog did not deserve that. No. <laughs> Last episode. <laughs> no. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. They, they, this dog has a great time. Sylvia's dog in, in, in the in this dog. This dog is fucking chilling. Yeah, and terrifying. This uh, this um, auto mechanic termed magician. Um, I really like the, this guy has a secret that can only be revealed when something specific happens. Um, I like, uh, just a lot of the, like, accoutrement of this episode. There's a wizard named Mustafa who hits his head on a pipe earlier in the episode. Cause there's like some guys laying pipe. And speaking of live action cartoon humor, uh, the plumber is like a cartoon New York plumber guy and he has a son with him. Oh Yeah. <laughs> This He's is got great. a son with a mustache and chest hair. <laughs> Get me whoever so... decided to do that. It's a thir- it's a two second so blink you'll miss a jag- gag. So uh, good. It's incredibly funny. Just the kids like, uh huh, I'm here too, and it's like yeah. a five year old with a mustache and chest hair. Um, they do some good stuff there with with like Le- Lester trying to speak Presidio's like other language. Um, and again, I like the the whole auto mechanic gag. I like the running thing of Lester trying to do like a bar magic tricks that he learned from Brian Brushwood on Scam School. Shut like, up! Like that. Just shout out my guy there. Come on, you're scam. You're canceled. You're scam yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Scam 
I like the pipes bit. It's I really like what funny. they do with the pipes. I like the hurry of Twinch running into the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the announcer and and the woman. Yeah. That like sprays him. Yeah. Like they just have bandages on their heads because they ran into the pipes. Yeah. She she. She brings a candy from Twin Peaks to Return level of like, <laughs> no one's looking at me, but I'm here, damn it. And I'm here to perform that I'm in pain or whatever. She's like really committed to it, uh, which I thought was so um, funny. Um, and Albert, Albert talking down the plumber is just classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where he reveals. <laughs> what is, is this where he, he reveals was in he Korea? Was and yeah, there's a the whole thing. It's funny. Um, yeah. The guy's trying to be mean to him, and he's like, listen up, fuckface, <laughs> basically. Uh, Lester also feels bad in this episode that he got a letter that says the Betty Hudson show featuring Lester Guy, uh-huh. uh, which I thought they were going to like actually go for, like, don't you feel bad for Lester Guy, but they also just run right past this joke, um, which, I, you know, sometimes I appreciate it. Not every joke has to be fixated on, but I was like, or not every plot beat has to be yeah. focused it- on. And it's a thing that they're like slowly building over the course of the season, which uh, I liked because that's not something you would have probably seen as often on a sitcom around this time. It's like a continuing plot thread over the course of the season. Um, So whenever they returned to that or incorporated that, I thought that that worked for me. Did Three Rock ever have like a jealousy plot line? Uh, Yeah. Okay, great. Just, are you thinking about between particular characters, or are you just saying in general? In general, in general. I mean, I think that's like an undercurrent of Liz and Jenna's relationship that Liz Lemon is jealous of her. Makes sense. I need to. Or watch they're jealous that. of each other to a certain extent in different contexts. Oh, well, Third Rock is on Hulu. Okay, I'll add it. Yeah, the there's definitely channel. parts of it that don't hold up, uh, and there's a lot of it that's really good still. So. Yeah. I like, think it's I think you would think I think it's better than I would think it is now. I rewatched if that makes sense. I rewatched all of it like six months ago or eight months ago or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's what you said is right. And I can't remember the words you said, but they were correct. <laughs> it holds up a little it better than you would think it does. Yes. But also yeah. has parts that don't just don't hold up. It's but right. also, yeah, you're definitely gonna go. Whoa, yikes! <laughs> Tina Fey's maybe a little racist. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So, 2006. But, uh, it's funny that we sure. talk about that. Like, does it hold up? But we don't even question if on the air holds up because it's like because it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It simply doesn't. Ryan, the fucking were, yeah. the fucking fat joke, like the oh, halfway through, I'm just like, it. God, I didn't it mention sucks. it. There, I, there was a discourse boiling in my head that I decided to not bring up, which is when Sylvia uh. does that. I was like, Are we? How much? Where's the line drawn on like a character is supposed to be shitty, and how shitty can they be before we're like, okay, that's actually inappropriate? Because she makes a fat joke to uh, what's his face, um, cool guy. Puppy to McG- McGonagall's by McGonagall. And to me, like honestly, the line that I draw is like Sylvia. Sylvia can make a fat joke, and that can be clear. That can be a, an indicator to us that she's a shitty person. Uh-huh. But when that's prefaced by the camera yeah. itself mm-hmm. looking him up and down, uh, to be like, "Hey, look at this guy's body. Get ready for us to say something." And then she says that it 
confuses whose perspective we're in, what the show yeah. thinks about the comment that she's saying there. And I don't think that's a productive ambiguity. I think it's harmful. Um, Especially when the show sound design is just like Hong Kong. <laughs> right. <laughs> the sound effects are off the wall in the show, by the way. It is pretty fun. But uh, yeah, if I wouldn't be too surprised if McGonagall walks away and they started playing a trumpet or a trombone there. Like it's, yeah. it's on that level of like, I would laugh at it as a fat person, but also like, come on, guys. I get it. Yeah. You don't like people like me. It's okay. Um, yeah, so that that covers that stuff. Um, I also just think the end of episode six is like one of the most off the wall like endings. They literally turn Nicole into a lizard, and like the CG or whatever so the good. the overlay so looks good. really bad but really good. And then the way that they depict that uh, Lester is in Akron, Ohio, is there's a mountain of tires behind him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they make tires in Akron, Ohio. It's like, and if you didn't have the internet which you wouldn't in 1992, then you're just like, this is how you learn that? You're like, oh, I guess, huh. Unless you're from Akron. You're like, I guess Akron makes tires. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I just thought was hilarious. Like, that's the the, the, the visual symbolism for that city in particular. Um, I like that the magician was just very sad the entire episode. What's <laughs> off the magician the has had a bad day. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate him, though. Um, but he's, yeah, depressed magician is a vibe. Uh, do we want to talk about the final episode, episode one one seven? Yeah, episodes don't have t- don't have titles, by the way. Um, if you didn't already hear us talk about it, this is the beatnik episode. Lester is amazed by the woman with no name, a beatnik that he's so- seen perform downtown. He invites her and her crew, the Voids, to appear on the special salute to summer episode of the Lester Guy Show, and demands that Bud allow her to perform. Meanwhile, Bud Betty is upset she can't remember her mother's first name. Lester and Nicole plot to destroy Betty, this time using a voice disintegrator, which is a bad vocal effect, basically. Uh, however, the device ends up disintegrating Lester's voice instead of Betty's, and as the woman with no name performs an avant-garde dance, Betty sings a song that features the name Mary. I think it is it not? It's not Mary Had a Little Lamb. It's something like that, though. Uh, and anyway, she joyously remembers her mother's. That's her mother's name. Because Mr. Zablotnik and Valgia uh, are interested in the beatnik, we learn that beatnik means bootmaker in their language. And so they present her at the end of the episode with many pairs of boots and shoes. And the show ends with Bud Waller admitting that he understands nothing about his audience. And he joins the woman with no name and the entire cast and crew of the Lester Guy show in a dance routine involving bare feet and shoes at the end. Of, this part's <laughs> weird because I didn't notice this. And it says in the, in the summer here at the end of the show, Betty Hudson's nowhere to be found. I thought I just saw, I don't think they made a point about that. I think she just isn't <laughs> the last scene. Who cares? Um, that's so strange right that's but, that's the two-hour video essay right there yeah why isn't <laughs> um this one actually returned to having a, a david lynch script this one was lynch and robert Engels, which explains something mm-hmm. i just i want to know god the best comedy for me is lester guy trying to talk and his voice is disintegrated it's so fun it's like shit post modern twitter humor funny of like hey what's going on what are you into what kind of music do you listen to and you're like oh it's pretty obscure you wouldn't have heard of it and then he plays it and it's like that's yeah that's very funny to me i just from the minds that gave you twin peaks firewalk with me come yeah this ridiculous beatnik episode 
You want to watch somebody dance for five minutes? Yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> do you guys enough. know who? Do you guys know who the beatnik is? No, <laughs> who's that actress? That actress uh, was. She has two roles in Twin Peaks. No way. Um, one of them. Wait. Was oh, Jones? Okay. I yeah. Is it Jones? No, okay. not Jones. All right. Uh, she is was... it my brother's sister's girl? No. Okay. <laughs> what? Um, From Firewalk with Me, the lady with the red. And she's dancing around. She works at the Great Northern, and she's excited about M.T. Wentz. Oh, oh, oh! Sure, 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 sure. sure, sure okay. Sure. And uh, season three, part sixteen. She is the <laughs> nurse that is in the hospital when Cooper wakes up. Stop it! Whoa! Cool. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> That's not yeah. real. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's who the beat. That's who the beat. I love that. Again, you can keep the the multiverse theory going. She went from a beatnik and then she grew up and was like, "I'm going to be." An-. I know the age doesn't work, <laughs> but then she became a nurse. I, oh God, episode seven. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I there are a couple things I thought were pretty funny in this episode. I, I mean, it's stupid, but the beatnik guy talking to Betty and both of them not understanding each other was funny to me. Like when he says, I love the sacks you dig. (laughs) And she says sometimes in my garden, like that's like fifth grade humor, but I thought it was good. Um, and Oh, I didn't get it until right now. You dig in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just like 10 of those in a row in that conversation. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, damn, you're fucking crazy, girl. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> Me? Uh, I really liked the resolution to Betty's whole mom thing where she's on the air and she says, I think everyone in America should call their mother right now. <laughs> so and and then everybody's really crying. Yeah. And then the ending is an ending to the show that is emotionally satisfying and resolves <laughs> on the air. And we get a resolution to the, um, the director who always like uses oh, the wrong vowels. Oh, that joke has a resolution where he says, there's no business like shoe business. And it almost made it all worth it to me. <laughs> almost really close. <laughs> It was like a fucking shaggy dog story of, hey, this guy's been using the incorrect vowels the whole time, and this is why. And uh, I respect that to a certain extent. So I I saw that, that that he links that video or he puts that clip in the the YouTube essay about this show. So I saw that before it came up, and I was like, damn it, you spoiled on the air for me. But there's no business like shoe business is pretty good. Um, I was so taken by the, the, the beatnik and the director just hanging out and (laughs) him going, I like your bites. And then she like bites him. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. How like freaky they were getting. It's fun. They were like so into each other. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah. It was wild. I think this is this is probably my favorite of the bunch just because of how just I I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Definitely. Very very off the wall episode of On the Air. Uh speaking of flirting that we enjoyed, um Ruth and Betty actually kind of have a teensy bit of chemistry here that I thought was fun. Mm-hmm. And I imagined a better world where 
they could just date or something, but it's the 50s, so they have to be in secret. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, blonde and brunette dating in the 50s. Is this just Betty and Veronica? Am I describing that? And, of course, this led to me Googling, like, okay, Riverdale's, like, really popular with the teens. Do Betty and Veronica ever actually kiss in Riverdale? And they – sorry, spoilers for Riverdale. They totally do do that. And I've I've never felt so disappointed that I was pandered to in my life. I was like, you can't just do the thing that's, like, in my brain. as like, that would be hilarious. Like, yeah. So Riverdale – River Chat's coming not soon. Uh, I don't know. I thought that show – that show looks interesting. But anyways um, – also into the implication that the beatnik is is a vampire too. Wasn't she like biting someone's neck? Yes. Oh, yes. really? That's a thing. In this? Yes. Yeah. She's a beatnik that's vampire. That's hilarious. I love yeah. that so much. I wrote in my my notes. I, that's like the best kind of word salad. Beatnik vampire. <laughs> it's a band name. It's a word salad. <laughs> um, and just like wh- it's also yeah. It's I. <laughs> Albert. Uh, just calling her an hipster, or I don't know which character it was, but them just being like. It's fucking hipster bullshit, which is like ridiculous because like Twin Peaks is hipster bullshit. Yeah, like in the two thousands. Yeah, but also, but also, like I have to forgive it because every nineties comedy thing just like has this bit. Like I kept thinking of like Grim Fandango, which has a a beatnik poetry bit. Yeah, in it. <laughs> I'm just like, why does every nineties thing just have this? Right. That's right. funny that you say that because I wrote the same thing in my notes. I was going to bring it up next, but like I've seen the specific, like, you know, thin woman in black bodysuit equals beatnik is like a specific thing in the 90s that actually sets this show more as a 90s yeah. show than it is in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, like the sister on Doug is this joke. Doug's older sister is exactly. They do stuff like this in The Simpsons. Yeah. It's all oh, fuck, guys. Place. I just forgot. You know what Doug's sister's name is? What? It's It's Judy. Oh no! Oh god! <laughs> I also just got a video on my YouTube recommends that was like David Lynch says, "Say hi to Judy for me in 1990 on David Letterman." <laughs> I was like, "All right, you guys gotta stop. You gotta go to go to church, go to bed." <laughs> it's really fucked, you know, top to bottom. Um. So yeah, the beatnik thing is is was really big for a while. It's just like it's like how quicksand was a thing in the 90s, and now we don't talk about quicksand anymore. <laughs> it's like why was this a specific cultural touch point? Um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not the, the anthropologist here to explain that. Um, I do like the, again, the gag of just voice disintegration when Lester's hearing the other people do it. He's like, here's what it sounds like. But John, you noted while we were talking that that's him being shown hyper pop for the first time ever, which made me laugh so hard. I laughed so hard. I almost fell out of my chair. I did this where if oh, if we shit. if we watch stuff together or I know you're gonna read oh. my notes, I'll just shit post in my notes. Because yeah. you know so. I'm gonna bring it up. It was funny though. It's true. It's kind of it's yeah. Uh, well, because no, I said no, what I said what prompted that was I was like, wow, I love this new 100 Gex album. And then you were like, yeah, it's, he's listening to Hyper Pop. Oh, like, you said 100 <laughs> Gex. I think we just both thought of the same joke. We at got the same there time. together. <laughs> <laughs> we should watch more shows together tbh uh, we're gonna be funny yeah. at least <laughs> god uh other jokes from our notes on the air walk so the amanda show could run just again the 90s was a time to... sh- yeah or did you write that Who wrote you that? said it i wrote it you said that it. was me oh um, okay yeah 
And then a line from the episode that I did, I did really enjoy too. Uh, <laughs> I keep wanting to say Albert. Bud goes, uh, there was a group of people living in the Andes who had such an extraordinarily high pain threshold that their favorite pastime was throwing rocks at each other's head. Anyways, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the longest point. Like I, I always, when I was writing it down, I was like, what's the point of this? What's the point of this? Oh, he says it in the last millisecond. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I think this show had all the ingredients to be really great. And it just like... Miguel Ferrer and Ian Buchanan on a show together doing those characters from Twin Peaks, but in like a backstage show show sounds awesome. I bet I would love that. And it just doesn't quite cohere, but there are these isolated moments where they're both doing their characters so good. All the other characters are really funny. Um, So there's a lot of, I think if people are even vaguely interested in on the air, I would say watch a couple episodes of it just to see it and understand it um because there's fun stuff here uh it's just not like a forgotten gem that was uh you know not rightfully respected in its time and should have gone for 10 seasons or whatever it's not that sort of a thing uh yeah definitely it's it's something it's an interesting artifact but it's not like essential viewing even if you're like a david lynch person or a mark frost person it's like you could watch it or you could not it's hard to find um yeah right i honestly i really liked the first episode a lot um it reminded me a few friends and i watched uh the red shoes which is like a late 40s um movie about theater and like putting on a show and it reminded me of that so much just the the way that it sets up how the show is supposed to go and then the way it just completely like falls apart. It just reminded me of, of that so much um, to the point where I'm like, that's probably intentional. Uh, Dave Lynch and Mark Frost love their fifties cinema. So. Wow. Um, Everybody but, on my letterbox yeah. loves the red shoes. Apparently I guess I'm adding it to the watch um, list. But yeah, no, I, it reminded me of that era mm-hmm. of stuff. Then mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool to, see that because it's so it's so it i don't know it feels like it plans everything purposefully way more purposely than everything else i just really liked the back half of that episode a lot i don't know yeah definitely but everything else is just like you take it or leave it Mm -hmm. um john any final thoughts on on the air besides what you've already said um honestly the only thing that's been in my head for the last 45 minutes or so is when we were talking before about like other sitcoms that do this stuff better, I was thinking about, you know, okay, this show goes into like slapstick in, uh, at the expense of characterful stuff. And, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there's a show that is characterful and slapstick. And for the past 45 minutes, the thing that's been playing in my head is that scene from friends where Ross is in the bathroom and his pants are way too tight and he can't get them off. And he like tries to smear talcum powder all over them and he ends up covering himself in powder and like rolling around in the bathroom and he makes a disaster for himself. It's pretty funny stuff. So if you're looking for a madcap sort of a physical comedy type thing, you could just watch that scene from friends. It's uh, wait, hold on. Yeah, give me the episode. Hold on. It's a blast. No, sorry. I'm opening up the beatnik slang again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
it uh, it really gives you the big tickle. Uh, uh, Ross isn't that cool of a cat. You have 30 seconds on this bit, my friend. Uh, They're all part of the same galaxy, which is uh, one circle of close friends. So that's something. All right. How about five seconds? Sorry for bugging you. Thank you. That's beatnik slang. Gotcha. Beatnik slang with Coachella. New podcast starting eventually. Later. Which means goodbye for now. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's on the air, folks. Interesting show. Find uh, it if you can. In the chat, I just pasted a video of like 45 seconds of basketball players refusing to put a basketball in the net. <laughs> and I feel like that's on the air. <laughs> I'm going to watch this real quick. Oh, this is, the, this oh. is genuinely painful to watch. <laughs> I Everybody, saw. I thought it was gonna be a montage, but no. this is no. This team, everybody gets their hand on the ball, and everybody <laughs> fails to put it in. And now the other team has the ball. Are they gonna miss it too on this side? You know it, bud. Oh my god, they do, yeah. guys! <laughs> oh, you! The other team is missing it multiple times. Wow. It's on the air. All right. There it is. My 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 comparison point is I just saw a TikTok that was like, gotta keep them guessing. And it was a guy like dribbling a basketball and jumping up for the hoop and then not putting it in and then running away with the ball. <laughs> and then like <laughs> yeah. doing ten ten different things where you're like, Oh, he's gonna like flip this cup and he like puts his hand near the cup and then like like drinks out of the cup and doesn't do anything with it. Like he just kept on going to things preparing the bit you think is going to happen and then not doing it and again that's that's on the air yeah yeah definitely um ryan first of all thank you um thank you where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me at bluest rose 430 on twitter um and i have a new podcast Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah you do uh it is called the safe room me and my friend grace Ben Fell, who is a games writer, has written great stuff for Paste, Waypoint, etc. Um, we are uh, going to play survival horror games once every month and talk about them on a podcast. Fun. Um, and then the first one we're doing is Silent Hill, classic, uh, classic video game, Silent Hill. Classic. Um, uh, if that sounds like it's up your alley, if you liked like Twin Peaks stuff. Um, Check that out. It's on abnormalmapping.com. Uh, it's being hosted on their podcast network. So uh, check that out if you like. If you liked me on on Twin Peaks, um, that is definitely going to be that is the most Ryan core thing <laughs> I can think of doing <laughs> with my time. So I'm very excited. So the Safe Room Podcast, Ryan and Grace, incredible podcasters talking about incredible horror games that I'm too scared to play myself. That's the other thing. If you just want to hear, if you want the knowledge of horror games without yeah. being scared about it, um, I'm excited to to give people that service. I love it. You know, I'm glad to have it. Uh, John, I'd like to pivot to talk about what we're watching next on Chat Season 13. Sure. Uh, 13 under 13, if you will. Three shows under 13 episodes. Um, well, folks, it's time to go from the 1950s Hollywood to sunny 2007 Los Angeles. 
uh, Tim Minear, fresh off of uh, the <laughs> verse, Buffy verse, uh, got a chance to make his own show in the summer of 2007 on the Fox network. He got a legendary actor up front, Nathan Fillion. <laughs> he got a brilliant premise. What if a bunch of people had to race across the country in cars to get a lot of money? Um, he said, Fox, can I get a show? We'll film the whole thing in Santa Clarita. Wait, why is Emma Stone in this? Thank you. Don't, there's, <laughs> there's Ryan, Ryan, bud. There's more than a few weird celebrity cameos that I cannot ruin. Don't, not yet, not yet. But yes, Emma Stone's in this. That's right, folks. We are watching Drive, the 2007 six episode series that got, I think, two episodes on TV before they kicked the rest of it online. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, no one's watching. Like, like Legend of Korra got its third season pushed to be on the internet because, like, ratings and stuff. And I get that. Oh. But they got two seasons. Drive got two episodes on TV. I'm sorry. I think wow. maybe three episodes. Tops. Tops. And then it, quote unquote, ended episode six online which does not end the series. I'll tell you from now, so you don't get too excited about it. Um, this was also a mid-season replacement. I'm excited to watch it. This is, unfortunately, yet another one that's really hard to find. Uh, it goes on and off of Tubi very frequently, uh, if you are able to find it there. If not, uh, we can help you find other ways to watch it. Um, but we're watching the first two episodes of Jai. Can I, I just want to clarify... The first two episodes first aired on CTV, the like Canadian TV yes. network. Yeah. Three and four aired on Fox, and then yep. five and six were online. Oh boy. Okie dokie. We had a term back when we watched Buffy Magellan, the Tim Minear special, which means when an episode is good. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. It's in my near special. This is pretty like in my near, I think, right? Maybe. He's written maybe. good things. He worked on Lois and Clark. So it has to be good. The New Adventures of Superman. Um, let's talk about this. Episode one is called The Starting Line. An illegal cross country race is being run. Contestants in the race are not all there by their own choice. Alex Tully is searching for his missing wife. A mother is somehow involved for her baby's safety. Others may simply be after the $32 million prize. Uh, and then episode two, partners, the race continues in Jupiter, where Tully, Wiles, and the other racers prepare for the next clue. Meanwhile, uh, more things happen, and I'm not going to spoil the episode. Shh, but there's a lot of characters. I'm so excited to watch it, y'all. Please watch Drive with us. Nobody watched this show except me and my one family friend who talked about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's literally it. Get get hyped for Drive chats next week. Um, Magellan, do you want to give us the zone of plugs, please? Surely, surely. So, first of all, Alan, are there any other podcast folks can hear you on that you want to share with them? There are, Magellan. Thank you for asking. Uh, my main other gig right now, podcast-wise, is... Oh, I have two. I can actually announce two gigs now. We have The Hunter's Quorum, which is also on ScanlineMedia. Oh, actually, no. Ryan's is on Abnormal Mapping. On ScanlineMedia.com, you can find The Hunter's Quorum, which is a podcast where my friend Six and I, Six, who's been on chats before, uh, talk about... Monster Hunter Monsters. We are hopefully by the time this episode comes out, putting out an episode about the new Pokemon from Pokemon Legends Arceus. We just recorded a fun episode with M from Abnormal Mapping on that. Nice. Um, so it's a it's kind of a monster ranking podcast. I'd say that's the general pitch for it, um, and it's really funny. And we've put out really good content in the past couple of years. Um, 
And I also want to briefly shout out my other new gig, my side gig, my side hustle. Uh, I recently became the director of content for the American Marketing Association in Boston, and I'm nice. now now in charge of their new pod. They're currently continuing podcast, Talking Marketing, which can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. I It's basically me and, and other hosts, other VPs of that team interviewing marketers about why they do the things they do, how they do them, what inspires them, and et cetera. Um, and it's a really interesting little interview show. It's very sh- – they're little bite-sized, and we put them out once every two months. So if you have any passing interest in marketing, check out Talking Marketing wherever you listen to pods. Yeah, I had listened to that first episode you were on, and I was a big fan. So I highly encourage people to listen to that. Yeah, I want it to be accessible even if you don't care about marketing, honestly. But yeah. sometimes it's hard. There's a lot of jargon, you know. What about you? Um, well, you can hear me on a video game podcast called Super Smash Echoes every month. My friend Justin and I talk about video games that are uh, connected to characters in the Super Smash Brothers franchise or uh, Echo characters or games related to that franchise. We are in the midst of playing Earthbound uh, in a multi-installment series. So you can join us on that adventure. And we've played a few other games as well that you can check out on the feed there. Uh, Super Smash Echoes. It's a fun time uh, video game situation type thing. In terms of this show, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Chats, a television podcast, you have a few options. You can email us, chatspod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at chatspod. You can DM us there as well. We welcome and encourage all sorts of communication, questions, comments, concerns, feedback, uh, requests to be on the show. We have an open door policy. If you say, hey, can I be on? We'll say, yeah, because we like to have people on. So if you really want to talk about Drive and you've been waiting for forever for somebody to talk about it with you, we want to be that person for you. So so please email us or DM us there. Uh, you can also join a community of fellow listeners in a couple places over at reddit.com slash r slash chatspod where we talk about current and past episodes of the podcast as well as on our Discord, which is available to everyone who has at some point in their life pledged a dollar or more to us on Patreon. Uh, so it's a you know low barrier to entry on the Discord, and we've got channels where we talk about every show we've ever covered and other stuff too, and it's a great time. Uh, also on our Patreon, if you support us there at patreon.com slash chatspod uh, at a dollar and up, you get the Discord and some assorted old bonus episodes. $3 a month gets you access to all these bonus episodes, thrice monthly bonus content where we might do movie commentaries or pilot potential new shows for the main feed uh, or just have discussions about other topics that we feel like talking about. And $5 a month gets you thanked here on the show. Our current $5 patrons are Arthur, Jen, my mom, Marcus, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Fenden, Six, and Stefan. Thank you, folks, for being $5 patrons. And uh, you can also support the show, of course, by rating us on wherever you listen to us, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or I don't know what you use, uh, but you can send us a rating by driving some traffic over to our website at chatspod.com and checking out the stuff that we did there. And you can also support us by supporting the people that have uh, made cool things for us, including Camilla, who designed our podcast art at Camillustrator on the socials. Uh, show her some love there as well. 
Okay, here's the time for the last thing we like to do, which is share some chatsums, some things we've been snacking on ourselves that we would like you all to snack on if you're looking for a snack between now and next time. So, Ryan, do you have a chatsum for us? Yeah, uh, my chatsum is uh, a new album from Denzel Curry called Ooh. Melt Your Eyes, See Your Future. Um, <laughs> Denzel Curry, rapper from Florida. Um, he's been making really solid music for a while, and I think his latest one is probably his best. Um, it's uh, it's emotional, it's reflective, it's um, thoughtful in a lot of areas, and um, I think the production is very varied and interesting, and um, I think Denzel Curry is low-key like one of the best rappers right now. So, um, yeah, Melt Your Eyes, your feature, it's great. You just have to listen to it. It it's kind of speaks for itself. So, yeah. Nice. Chats related, Melt Eyes spelled uh, with a Z. Um, yeah. Also, the yeah. tracks that you've posted, Ryan, uh, on our Discord from that album are amazing. And I'm really excited to give it a full listen. 45 minutes of delicious Denzel Curry music. That's fantastic. I'm so excited. Yep. Alan, what about you? What's your chance on? I'm finally out of the Elden Ring hole. And that's not because I beat the game yet. God, no, I'm not even close, folks. Uh, but I am doing other things with myself. Uh, I'm going to chat some a manga and I'm going to chat some a book. Is that okay? Can I do two things? Yeah, go for it. Um, the manga I've been reading and uh, that I think just got more volumes announced and maybe even an anime announced soon is Witch Hat Atelier, A-T-E-L-I-E-R. Uh, this is a manga that's been running since 2016. It's um, been blowing up recently, I think, because the, it's just really good and the art is fantastic. Basic elevator pitch. You've got a young girl who's always been interested in magic um, and she never knew how to do it. It turns out that there's secrets involving magic that you basically uh, the the mechanism with which you perform magic in this world is, is really special. And, uh, you know, she's whisked away to a magic atelier school where um, she learns how to become a witch. And, uh, you know, it's a growing up story. It's about the power of art and stuff. And um, it's really beautiful and really nice and warm. And I love it so far. I finished the first volume today. I sat outside in the sun and read it um, after a stressful day at work. And it was a bomb for me. Um, so Witch Hat Atelier, that's a huge recommend if you like that kind of thing. Um, also, just want to give a quick shout out for all the socialists out there. Um, Ryan, you actually recommended me this book about five years ago. Uh, and it is Socialism Seriously <laughs> by Danny Katz. <laughs> I knew exactly what book you were talking about, too. I was like, yep, it's that one. I, it's funny that I explicitly remember you recommending it to me. Because I think I was like, I'm interested in socialism. And you were like, I read this and it was a good 101. Uh, it's really weird reading Socialism Seriously in 2022. Because it's like a very 2015 perspective on politics. Um that's not to say that it's bad. It's just so like we're we're kind of past a lot of the ideas in this book, um, which is to say like, but but it's still super relevant. Um, it's basically framed as a um, modern take on like how what socialism was, how we can incorporate it into our society today, and what that actually tangibly looks like uh, for the modern person. Um, it's got a bit of a humorous bent to it. It's a little bit cheeky and goofy, but I think that's more to get the point across. Um, and the author talks about like, yeah, I could write this as a boring textbook or I could like keep you engaged. And so that's why it's like kind of funny. 
Um, but check it out. If you're interested in socialism as an ideology, I'm not here to vouch for any particular ideology, but I'm just saying the book is interesting. Socialism Seriously by Danny Catch. Um, John, what about you? Um, I'm sort of in the middle of three different books right now, but I, one of them, I don't want to chat some because I don't think it's good enough. And one of them is hyper specific to teachers. So I'll chat some, the one that I think is the best of the three and broadly, um, the most interesting, which is I recently started reading a book of poetry from 2017, uh, called Whereas, which is written by Laylee Long Soldier. Uh, Laylee Long Soldier is a Native American author, and her book is essentially this exploration of the language that has been used in um, various documents written by the U.S. government and its representatives um, with regard to Native American societies um, and the sort of like way that language can be constructed to be duplicitous and misleading and disguise the sort of like physical realities uh, or the truly structural realities of how the United States has treated Native American peoples. Um, and it's a book that's like challenging and, and fascinating and I think really gets to the root of like the harm that is done when we allow language to be so slippery um, and like what is made possible by by speaking in that way or by writing laws or or writing apologies to groups of people in that way. Um, so I would encourage people to read Whereas. I think it's a fascinating book um, and it's really good so far from what I've read. What's the author name again? Laylee Long Soldier. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Books, folks. We read them. And uh, in case you were wondering, the Rihanna song Shut Up and Drive came out during the break between the first four episodes and the last two episodes of Drive. So, no, they weren't able to use it as a theme song. But don't you wish they could have? That's something <laughs> for you to think about next week, folks. I hope you all have a good night. Thank you to Ryan for being the Bud Budwaller to my uh, Prasvagia with a funny accent guy. And Majon, thank you for being the Betty to my Veronica. Those are not characters on on the air, but I just think that that's how we relate <laughs> to each other. <laughs> and thanks for listening to chats, folks. Peace. The hurry up twins. Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Twins.